Hello, everybody. This is Jamie DiPolo. I'm the senior editor at breastcancer.org. We're down here in San Antonio at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. I'm with Dr. Brian Wojciechowski, who is breastcancer.org's medical expert and advisor. And we have just seen many exciting presentations at the second day of the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. And Brian is going to break down what we saw or what we heard and saw today. Um, There were many, many studies on aromatase inhibitors today. And aromatase inhibitors are given to postmenopausal women who've been diagnosed with hormone receptor positive breast cancer. So that's specifically the group of people a lot of this research is focused on. And just so everybody knows, the aromatase inhibitors are arimidex and the chemical name for arimidex is anastrozole. There's also aromacin, which is eczemestane, and there's femera, which is letrozole. And I'm giving you the chemical names because all three of those medicines are now generic. So you're likely to hear about them more by their chemical name than you are by their brand name because they're generics now. So the first study we heard was very, very interesting. It was looking at using um, arimidex or anastrozole as a preventive medication for high-risk postmenopausal women. In other words, women who have gone through menopause who are at very high risk of breast cancer but haven't been diagnosed. And um, Brian, what are we are we excited about this? This was this was pretty interesting research, wasn't it? Yes, I think this was a very good, very interesting study that will give us another option for preventing breast cancer in these high-risk women. This is the IBIS-2 trial, looking at anastrozole, which is also named Arimidex. And to summarize what they found, the risk of breast cancer was decreased by about 50%. So it went from 6% to 3% for a 50% reduction. Um, So I think it's a great option for postmenopausal women uh, for prevention of uh, hormone receptor positive breast cancer. This did not help prevent uh, hormone receptor negative breast cancer, okay. not surprisingly. Okay. And now, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it did also reduce the risk of DCIS, ductal, carminosa, ductal carcinoma in situ, correct? Yeah, and that was by about 70%, so it was even better than for, uh, for invasive cancer. That's, that's pretty great. Um, I know people are concerned about side effects, with um, all the aromatase inhibitors, um, did did they talk about side effects in this study? They sure did, and this is really important. This is a major issue. So only about 70%, 7 out of 10 women who get started on aromatase inhibitors actually finish. Uh, you know, So what, when you have 3 in 10 women going off the medication within the first year, that's a big problem because... A lot of those women will have a recurrence that otherwise would not have recurred had they stayed on the medication. So the first thing we learned from this study is that women really do have a lot of side effects from the medications. In my experience, they tend to downplay them because they want to stay on therapy or they don't want to be perceived as complaining, but the rate of side effects in terms of aches and pains in the joints and the muscles was pretty high, over 50%. So a majority of women were getting these side effects. So the first thing I would say is to doctors that we need to pay more attention and really try to tease out 
what's going on with our patients who are on these therapies. Uh, the second thing we found out from this study, which was very interesting, is that uh, not all of the musculoskeletal aches and pains were from the medication. You see, Jamie, this study had two arms. One arm was women taking the medicine. The other arm was women taking placebo, a sugar pill. So they found out that even the women who were taking the placebo, which did not contain the medication, had a very high rate of aches and pains and joint pains and things like that. The quote-unquote placebo effect. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the placebo effect is very well known in medicine. And, you know, I, I think that when we go on a medication, when we, you know, when we start taking a medicine, we may get more aware of our body and we may start to pick up on, you know, certain symptoms, aches and pains, and we may be more likely to attribute those to the medication. If, you know, more likely than if we were not on a medication. The other thing is, you know, as we get older, aches and pains become more common. Sure. So, you know, over time, you know, women will naturally have more aches and pains. But I think the take-home message is that, you know, we're not getting enough women through the hormone therapy, and therefore we're not saving as many lives as we should. So, like I said before, doctors need to be more aware of the side effects that uh, patients are experiencing, and um, we need to try to do everything we can to get our patients to stay on these therapies and get through because they really do save lives. Okay. And I know, um, I'm remembering, I'm checking my notes here. Uh, the, the person who was presenting, the leader of the study, said he was surprised that they found that uh, these women who were taking Arimidex or Anastrozole, there was a reduction in um, the diagnosis of other cancers. Um, I believe it was uh, colon cancer or colorectal cancer and skin cancer also were down in this group of women. So that's kind of an added bonus, if you will, to to um, take this preventive medication. Yeah, I was pretty excited about that result myself. Now, that's a that's sort of an unplanned analysis. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not the highest level of evidence. So okay. I don't think we can a hundred percent draw that conclusion yet. Okay. But I will say that that has been seen in other studies and it's definitely worth more investigation. And that's something I'm going to be looking at in the future. Uh, but that is certainly very exciting. And I'm not sure why that they would, they would help with those other cancers. Maybe those other cancers share some of the same characteristics as breast cancer. They may express uh, hormone receptors as well. I'm not really sure, but that is very exciting and something I'm going to be looking forward to uh, seeing, you know, final results in the future. Okay. So in your opinion, um, is this practice changing? Do you think we'll see a lot of doctors recommending high-risk women, uh, high-risk postmenopausal women take um, anastrozole or Arimidex to reduce their risk? It's another weapon in the arsenal. Okay. Um, you know, I think the biggest problem is, is not that we don't have enough options, but that the women who should be on these are not. And, you know, I'm not sure if the problem is that more doctors need to know about it, okay. more patients. So that's what we're trying to do here is get the word out that, yes, there are options for women who are at high risk of breast cancer who have not yet been diagnosed that they can do something to be proactive to take these medications and and decrease their risk, to cut that risk in half, which is 
which is, you know, that's really significant. You get a lot of bang for your buck. Okay. Um, and what this study means is that we have one more option. One more option, because I, sh- I guess I should mention that um, women can take tamoxifen preventively, and I believe also letrozole. Is that is that the other one, Femera? Or is there... The other one is Eximestane. Eximestane. Which is okay. aromacin. aromacin. sorry. And then there's also Avista. Of, oh, Avista. Okay. So there, there now there are four Correct. medicines. And, and we know from other research that not as many women who would benefit from these are taking the medicines and, as you said, likely because of side effects. So, which is a nice segue in to our second study today, which was, look, it was the, um, no, this was not the HOPE study, I apologize. This study was looking at how the side effects of aromatase inhibitors were, were affecting how many women completed the whole five years of the protocol. And it was, I thought, very interesting because bone and joint pain were not really the top side effects that people reported as why they stopped taking. And that's usually what we hear about with aromatase inhibitors or bone and joint pain. But this study showed us something different. Yeah, and that surprised me because I feel like when I meet a woman with breast cancer that I'm going to start on the AI therapy, I can almost predict who's going to tolerate it and who's not going to. And, you know, I felt I felt that uh, women who come in at baseline and have a lot of issues with arthritis or joint stiffness or musculoskeletal diseases like Parkinson's disease, for example. Uh, my perception is that it's, it's those women who are less likely to be able to tolerate the drug. But what this study showed actually was that forgetfulness, trouble concentrating, poor sleep habits, and fatigue are what contributed to not being able to finish the therapy. Okay. Okay. And, and the study also looked then to see how many of these women were having those issues even before they started on the aromatase inhibitor, correct? Yes. And that seemed to play a big role in whether the women were going to have those problems, or excuse me, have those side effects after they started on the aromatase inhibitor. Yeah, those were the main factors. And I think the lesson that that at least I'm learning from this study is that you really have to address these things. And, um, you know, fatigue and poor sleep in particular um, probably plays a big in, impact in the sense that, um, you know, if you're, if you're not sleeping well, then you're probably not getting enough exercise mm-hmm. and you're going to be more likely to experience joint and muscle pain. Right. And that sort of ties in with uh, the next study as well. Right. And you probably also have trouble concentrating or you forget things because you're tired. And it, to me anyway, it seems pretty logical that if you've been diagnosed with breast cancer, you're probably under a lot of stress, mm-hmm. which also contributes to all those side effects. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess one thing I thought was interesting, and you just mentioned it too, the, the presenter did, that she said, well, maybe if we see women who are having these side effects before the aromatase inhibitor, maybe if we try and ease them even before the aromatase inhibitor is started, that may help women, you know, take, finish the whole five years of the medicine and get all the benefits from it, which I thought was interesting because I've not heard anybody else talk about that. Yeah. And this, this is what's going to change in my practice. When I meet a woman who I see is fatigue, not sleeping well, having trouble with forgetfulness and concentration, that's going to be a red flag for me. 
Okay. And I'm going to sit down with that woman and say, look, how can we address this? This is really important that we can get back on track mm -hmm. because if we don't fix these things now, you're not going to be able to finish the five years of treatment and I'm, I'm going to have less of a chance to keep you cancer free. Okay. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, what we might advise women to do too, if you're having those side effects after surgery and before you start any of these other aromatase inhibitors, talk to your doctor. See, you know, there are things you can do to ease these. So, and it will help you in the long run. Don't wait until it becomes a big problem after you start an aromatase inhibitor. Mm -hmm. So, which, as you said, leads us into the next study, which is the HOPE study. And these researchers were looking at exercise to reduce joint pain from aromatase inhibitors. And I think this is really exciting because I'm very pro-exercise and I love it when we can, we can say that exercise helps alleviate side effects. So tell us what happened with this study. So the most common reason for discontinuing aromatase inhibitor therapy is uh, basically joint pains or stiffness. And this study took two groups of women. One group was put on a program of strength training twice a week plus two and a half hours of aerobic exercise uh, per week. And that could be split up into, you know, different number of sessions. Right. And um, that was at moderate intensity too, just so people don't think that these women were out running marathons. So it was moderate. Right. So, you know, brisk walking. Yes, you don't have to be an Ironman here. <laughs> um, so the other group was, was simply put on the usual care. So they could exercise. They could not increase their exercise. It was basically up to them. Um, so when, when you follow the women who exercised over time, and the investigators knew that they exercised because they measured their uh, weight loss. They lost an average of 3% of their body weight, and they also increased their exercise capacity. Um, they found out that with exercise, uh, the women had decreased pain scores by about 30%. So That's pretty incredible. It's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. So by going on a regular exercise program, uh, a woman could decrease her chance of having joint pains uh, by 30%, that's, which is a huge difference. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. And and the effect lasted, too, right? That's another thing I thought was interesting. Um, I believe when the research was presented, they said it, it lasted over a year, mm -hmm. even though the, the exercise program in the study didn't last the year. Right. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's a durable effect. I'm excited about that. And yeah, it's really important. Um, it, like we said, I, I can't say this enough, 30% of women stopping the aromatase inhibitor therapy is too high. Okay. Um, that's just, you know, we, sh we should not accept that as, as doctors and patients. And, you know, we need to do whatever we can to be proactive, to look at a woman from a holistic perspective, encourage her to exercise, address those symptoms early on in the game before we start therapy. And, um, and, and in that way, we're going to save more lives. That's, that's great. And I, I'll also point out, too, um, the researchers weren't sure if it was a particular type of exercise. If somebody asked a question afterward, you know, do you know if it was the strength training or was it the aerobic training that offered the benefits? And they didn't really separate it out. 
Um, somebody also asked a question about now, do you think yoga would help? And yoga was not part of this program, but the researchers seemed to think that that would be that would be helpful as well. Just anything to get moving. I think so, and and there was there was sort of a dose response effect, and what I mean by that is that the more exercise you did, the better your pain tolerance seemed to become. Okay. So I feel like, you know, anything that you can do is better. Right. You know, even even older women with other medical problems that would prevent them from, say, getting on a treadmill mm-hmm. can go to the gym and get in the pool if that's available. Sure. Um, I've even seen exercise machines at the gym where you, you almost, you, you, put your, you put your hands on these grips and, Oh, turn yeah, it like the wheel of the bike. Yeah, yeah hand, hand bike. bike. Yeah. You know, so so these are the kind of things that I'm suggesting to my patients. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, just get out and move. Whatever you can do at whatever level is comfortable for you because any amount is going to help. Right? Exactly. Basically. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Um, and then our fourth study about aromatase inhibitors, as I said, it was aromatase inhibitor day here in San Antonio. Um, th- I thought this was also very interesting as well. And again, it goes into why don't more women complete the whole five years of aromatase inhibitors? And this study looked at, was there an effect of the aromatase inhibitors becoming generic, which obviously generic in everybody's mind using means lower cost. And they found out that there was a pretty big effect, right? Yeah, and it is, in a sense, it is a little bit of a common sense kind of thing. If the medicine costs more money, you pay more out of pocket for it, you're going to be less likely to take it. Mm-hmm. But it is nice to have this confirmed with a scientific study because that gives us more ammunition to go after policymakers and and providers, insurance companies, governments and, and whatnot in order to convince them that yes, we need to help women more. We need more assistance with copays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need lower out of pocket costs uh, because it really does affect um, it really does affect ability to stay on these medications. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a pretty striking difference. Um, I don't remember all the numbers, but I know you know now that it's a it's a generic. I believe the copay for um, a generic AI is nine dollars, and the copay for a brand name aromatase inhibitor is thirty three dollars. Yeah. So that's a that's a pretty big difference. Yes, and it could make it could make a real difference for someone on a fixed income. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, so our last study, which was actually the last study we saw today, the last one we're going to talk about today, is um, about bisphosphonates. And bisphosphonates are medicines that are used to lower the risk of bone loss in people, right? Am I, am I saying this right? <laughs> yeah. No, classically what we've used bisphosphonates for is to prevent fractures okay. in, in people with osteoporosis. Okay. So that's very severe bone loss. Okay. And then eventually we learned that in women with metastatic breast cancer who have disease that has spread to their bones, giving these medicines, these bisphosphonates, uh, prevents what we call skeletal-related events. So that's a a fracture. That's a pathologic fracture from, uh, from cancer in the bone. Okay. So it's basically breaking a bone due to having cancer exactly. in the bone. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there have been a lot of studies on bisphosphonates because, because that was discovered and people thought, well, can we use bisphosphonates to help treat 
because there seems to be this relationship between breast cancer spreading to the bone and can we use bisphosphonates to maybe present, prevent that or lower the risk of that. You can't prevent anything 100%. And the results were mixed. And so that's why this study was so exciting because this one study looked at all the other studies that have been done. And before I ask Brian to explain it, I just wanted to also tell everybody that when we talk about bisphosphonates, um, we're talking about a brand name Boniva, which is ibandronate, and zoledronic acid, which is also known as Reclast or Zometa, and then Cladronate, if I'm saying that right, which is Bonifost, right? Those are all the different types. Yeah, those are the ones that were actually studied. In, okay. And in those are the ones, too, they're injected. They're not the ones that are taken daily or weekly as a pill. Correct. We okay. have no data for the ones that are taken weekly as a pill. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so why are we excited about this study? <laughs> well, this is a very long story, and the first studies go back to 1998. So we've been waiting 15 years for an answer to this question. The patients in this study were patients who had non-metastatic disease. Okay. So it was, it was cancer that was confined to the breast or to the lymph nodes around the breast. Patients basically who were, were treating for cure. Okay. These patients would have had surgery and possibly hormone therapy and possibly radiation and even chemotherapy. Okay. Okay. So this was a very large study. It's the study was a type of study called a meta-analysis, which is the highest level of research. Okay. It combines a bunch of other studies into one large pool and we can analyze the data and when we do this, when we combine all these studies together, that gives us the greatest level of assurance that what we're finding is true. Okay. Okay. So this is the this is a this is the, this is the top the top of the pyramid in terms of study design. Okay. Okay. So what the study showed was that women who received the bisphosphonate treatment along with the usual treatment for breast cancer had a lower risk of recurrence and a lower risk of dying from breast cancer. Not all the women, though. Okay, it was just a particular group. That's right. Uh, the effect was only seen in the women who were postmenopausal, okay. either by age or by virtue of being rendered postmenopausal uh, by suppression of the ovaries by medication. Okay. okay. And... The common thread there is that these women had very low levels of estrogen. Okay, that seems to be what it takes to get this to be beneficial. That's what you need to see the benefit, a okay. low estrogen state. Okay. Okay. And, and the difference was pretty profound. Um, like you said, some of the studies in the past had shown a difference. Uh, some showed no difference. Um, <laughs> But the benefit in terms of recurrence was about 3%. So, you know, if you had 100 women and you treated all of them with bisphosphonates, uh, you're basically saving uh, saving three of them out of 100 from recurrence. That's pretty good. It's pretty good, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, you're basically treating 33 women to save one from recurrence. Okay. And that's about the same size as the benefit from, say, chemotherapy. Okay. So if you like chemo, 
you like bisphosphonates. Right. Okay. It, it has the same benefits. That's, yes. That's great. And again, we want to emphasize this was for postmenopausal women. They were the ones that saw the benefit. Exactly. A low estrogen environment. I, I would not use it in a woman who was premenopausal, okay, mm-hmm. who, who did not have her ovaries suppressed. Okay. And you wouldn't, and we were talking a little bit about this while the study was being prevented, you know, there was a question if a woman were diagnosed when she was premenopausal, became postmenopausal during treatment, you know, if she was on a, a, some sort of hormonal therapy, then would you start her on the bisphosphonate? And the study doesn't really take, the study didn't look at that group of women, so we can't really be sure about that's, that. That's correct. We really don't have the data for that. Okay. And bisphosphonates are not without side effects, so I wouldn't want to necessarily subject a woman to that treatment if I wasn't 100% sure that she would benefit. I think it, it would be up for discussion. Okay. I, could, I could talk to my patients about it and say, you know, here's the risk and benefit and here's the level of certainty and we would make a decision together. Okay. And uh, what are some of those side effects of bisphosphonates? So one of the main side effects that, that, that does get a lot of attention is called osteonecrosis of the jaw. That's a big word. That's a big word, yeah. <laughs> and it's basically, um, you know, death of the bone around a, around a, a decaying tooth. Okay. It's really not an issue if you have good teeth. Okay. Um, it's not an issue if you have no teeth, but it's really people with, uh, w- with bad, poor dentition, we say. Okay. You know, a, a lot of disease in their teeth that it becomes a problem. A lot of gum disease, a lot of cavities. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so, you know, whenever I put a woman on this treatment... I always make sure she's seen a dentist first. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Are there other side effects or is that really the big one? That's really the big one that we worry about. The other side effect is uh, it, some of them can, sometimes it can cause kidney damage. Okay. So, uh, you know, very, very rarely someone will need kidney dialysis, maybe even permanently. Oh, wow. Um, but that's very, very rare in okay. breast cancer patients. Okay. Um, so for the most part, it's safe, but, you know... The side effects when when you see them can be quite profound. Okay. Yeah. Now, for for this study too, um, do you think this is going to be practice change? I think it will be. Um, bearing in mind that this is a study presented at a conference, mm-hmm. and it still has to go through the peer review and publication process. Okay. But my prediction is that it will be the new standard of care within about a year. Okay, so if we see postmenopausal women diagnosed with hormone receptor positive cancer, it's likely that they're going to be taking some sort of hormonal therapy plus a bisphosphonate. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that sounds very good because, as you said, it's a pretty significant decrease in the risk of recurrence as well as the risk of dying from breast cancer, and those are two good things. We want to reduce both of those risks. Exactly. Okay. I think those those were the big studies today. We thank everybody for listening, and we will be back again tomorrow with more from the San Antonio Breast Cancer Conference, or Breast Cancer Symposium. Excuse me again. I'm Jamie DiPolo. I'm the senior editor at BreastCancer.org, and explaining this research to us has been Dr. Brian Wojciechowski, BreastCancer.org's medical advisor. And again, thanks everybody for listening. <laughs>